You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning, everyone. My name is Adam. I'm in the community group that means at the Gonzalez house. Um, so this morning, I'll be reading from Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you, are also, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The flower fades and the grass withers, but the word of God stays forever. Amen. Thank you, Adam. Hey, good morning. It's good to be with you. Happy Mother's Day, if that applies to you. If you're a guest, thank you for joining us. Under your chair, there is a Connect card. You can take a minute, fill that out. Um, let us know how we can serve you, how we can connect with you, how we can plug you into the life of the body. Uh, if you're not a fan of the physical Connect cards, we do have some QR codes scattered about so you can fill out a digital one. If you're on your phone, we use the ESV. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. Um, my son Levi will be happy to get you one. Or you can download the app from the App Store. There's some sermon notes in the app that you can use to follow along with. And there's also a Bible in that app as well. So uh, Redeemer Church Odessa in the App Store if you want it. So I'm a sports fan, uh, really enjoy sports. I enjoyed playing sports back in the day. Now in my 30s with my dad bod, I enjoy watching sports and not really playing them. I don't really f uh, have a professional sports team that I root for or cheer for. I usually just cheer for the teams with the most likable players or the teams with the most tech players. College sports, however, is a different thing for me. I grew up a tech fan, uh, and so I went to school there, and because of that, I root for tech. But if you know anything about tech fans, we are a surly bunch. So I also root against the rivals of tech. So I almost enjoy a tech win as much as I enjoy a UT loss. There you go, Daniel. That one's for you. It goes super deep in my family, too, man. Like, I have an uncle who told his daughter, she's an only child, he said, I will pay for any school in the entire country that you want to go to and can get into, except for that school in Austin. 
And part of that was because Austin kind of messes college kids up when they come back and become adults. But the other part is, was just deeply rooted in his sports allegiances. And I think he's relaxed or so a little bit in the last decade, but rivalries. Rivalries are everywhere. And in sports, they're supposed to be fun, like Michigan and Ohio State, Duke and North Carolina. All of them are meant to just be fun. Our text today speaks of another kind of of rivalry. This is a rivalry that is racial and a rivalry that is religious in nature. And through the death of Christ, this rivalry has been destroyed. And so we're going to continue to walk through Ephesians together this morning. Our text is going to build out, continue to build out upon our God-given identities as chosen and adopted children of God before the foundation of the world. And it's also going to remind us of our position prior to Christ calling us into faith. And then it's going to point us towards the eternal consequences of Christ's resurrection. And then it's going to point us to the beauty of being united by faith with Christ and with one another. So I'll just invite you to consider these things this morning. All of these blessings, I just invite you to consider them. All of this is your inheritance in Jesus Christ. And all of this is only accomplished because Jesus rose from the grave. So has the resurrection of Jesus moved you to belief in Jesus? And has the resurrection of Jesus moved you to more love to him and for one another? And if not, why not? So let's pray, and then we're going to jump into our text. Lord Jesus, we need you. Show us our need for you. Lord, again, we are humbled to be called your children. We don't deserve it. Lord, and you have been gracious. Help us to delight in that grace this morning. Church, if you're willing, I'd ask that you would pray for yourself, that the Lord would bring conviction where conviction is needed and encouragement where encouragement is needed. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's by your holy name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Verse 11 begins with the word, therefore. Uh, growing up, my, my pastor used to say this cheesy statement, and it stuck with me for years, so I guess it worked, whatever it takes. Um, he said, when you're studying Scripture, which as Christians you should be studying Scripture, but my pastor would say, when you're studying Scripture, when you're studying the Bible, and you see the word, therefore... You should then find out what it's there for. hey So Paul starts by saying, therefore, meaning because of all of this, all that we have covered over the last three weeks, because of your sonship as chosen and adopted in Christ before the foundation of the world, and because of your status as blameless, And now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, because of your new identity, therefore, 
You who were once dead, but have been saved by grace through faith for love and good works, and have been made alive because of all of this. Therefore, here is your response. Let's pick it up in verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul is inviting his readers, a primarily Gentile, meaning non-Jewish audience, to remember what they were. He begins by telling them they once were known as the uncircumcision by the Jews, those who were called the circumcision. This term, circum, uh, excuse me, this term uncircumcision was used to define any person that was not Jewish by birth or a convert to Judaism. Circumcision was an external sign of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And the Jews were at least symbolically God's chosen people, so they bore the marks of circumcision on their body. The Gentiles, however, were under no obligation to be circumcised, and the Jews then did not associate with them because of that. We see this tension in Galatians. Even after some of the Jews became Christians, there was a wall of hostility built up between them. In the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, there was literally a wall. A wall that forbid any foreign, non-Jewish person from entering the temple to worship God. They could go as far in as the courtyard, which was known as the court of the Gentiles. And then they'd walk up and there would be a sign on this wall that basically said that if you were a Gentile, this is far, as far as you can go. Don't go any further or you're going to get executed and the blame is going to be on you. The Jews did not like the Gentiles. So there is a literal wall, but it also symbolizes the hostility between these two races of people. So Paul writes to them, and he says, remember these things. He says, remember, at that time, you were Christless, which means separated from Christ. They did not have fellowship with Christ prior to receiving faith in Christ. They had been living in sin. They did not know Christ or have a relationship with Jesus that leads to eternal life. They did not have joy, this joy that should mark all believers because we belong to Jesus and nothing can separate those of us that are in Christ and have been called his very own. Before Jesus intercepted our hearts, we were without Christ. Paul also tells them that they were stateless. He says, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Apart from Jesus, they were a people without citizenship. They were without a citizenship in the kingdom of God. They were foreigners. They were not under the protection of the king of the universe. And before Jesus interceded on our behalf, we were not a part of the people of God. Paul also tells them, at that time, you were friendless. You were outsiders. A friend is someone you would say, yeah, I know them. We're friends. But Paul calls them strangers. 
You were strangers to the covenants of a promise. Paul is speaking here about the covenant that God made with Abraham. God tells Abraham, I will be your God. And all of the nations of the world will be, will be blessed through your offspring. And God has accomplished all of this through himself in Jesus. So just to review, God makes a covenant with Abraham. In the Old Testament, anytime two parties got together to make a covenant, they would take an animal, a bull or a ram, and they would cut it in half. And they would lay the two parts equal distance between the other, and the two parties would walk between the parts of the animal. And that was to say that if you break this covenant, may you become like this animal. So when God makes this covenant with Abraham, Abraham does not walk between the, the, the animal segments. God is the only one that passes between them. Abraham doesn't walk through this animal because Abraham cannot hold up his end of the bargain. The calling on Abraham's life from God was to live a life in perfect and complete obedience and submission to God in order to glorify God. And he couldn't. Abraham wouldn't do it. And even if he could, he would not but God would uphold his end of the bargain. God made Abraham a great nation, and God made Abraham a blessing to the world through his descendant, Jesus. God upholds his end of the bargain by accomplishing our redemption through himself, by the sacrifice of himself on the cross and through the resurrection. And in our lostness and in our sin, we are strangers to this covenant that promises our redemption. We were strangers to this covenant of grace apart from Jesus. Paul also tells them, remember, at that time, you were hopeless. Meaning you had no hope. We have no hope because of our sinful condition as treasonous rebels against God. We are hopeless because apart from Jesus, we rightly deserve his just punishment of separation from him for all eternity. Our hope as Christians is in Christ, and without Christ, we have no hope. Our hope is based on this divine covenant that God is going to complete our redemption through himself by purchasing our forgiveness. And finally, Paul tells them, at that time, you were godless. You were without God in the world. Prior to our faith, prior to our belief in Jesus, we have no true, real, or lasting knowledge of God. And we have no real, true, or lasting knowledge of God's goodness. And because of this, we have no desires for God we have no desires for holiness, we have no desires for peace, we have no desires for joy, and we have no eternal life. That is a pretty bleak existence. But then Paul gives us some good news. Paul says, remember what you were. 
And here's some good news. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ, remember what you were. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Sin separates us from God. But now in Christ Jesus, we have been brought near like never before because of the blood of Christ to us. Sin has marred everything. Sin is more than our choices and our behaviors. It is in our very nature. And our hearts don't want to honor or follow God. And yet, Christ did not see fit to leave us as we were. Christ came and lived a perfect, sinless life in complete submission to God. And Jesus endured our punishment on himself by dying the death that was ours to die. And now we will never have to die that death because our debt has been paid. We have been bought and we have been given access to the throne of God through the blood of Jesus that has paid for our sins. I think theologically, most of us can assent to this fact. We can, like it's our own second nature, say, Jesus died on the cross for my sins. But I also think sometimes we fail to really grasp what that really means for us. Thus far, the sum of Ephesians tells us what is available to us in Christ and then how to cling on to it. And this is one of those times. We saw last week in verse 8 that our salvation is a gift from God, not a result of good deeds, not a result of works. And this is another one of those moments where Paul is telling us to take hold of what is ours. He says, in Christ Jesus, we experience what is ours. There are benefits to you, Christian, because of the shed blood of Jesus. We have been forgiven, Christians. Being brought near, though, doesn't just mean that we have been forgiven. But now that you have been given unrestricted access to the God of the universe. The blood of Jesus in this text, though, reminds us just how seriously God views our sin. And sometimes we so willingly minimize it. And even in our casual view of sin, Jesus still endured the cross. We can worship freely. We can worship fearlessly. We can pray boldly always because Jesus' blood has mediated for us between us and the just judge of the universe who now declares us not guilty. When you understand just how great your sin debt is, it is an unrepayable debt. When you understand that and just how much you have been forgiven, not only that you have been forgiven, but then you have also been adopted by God and now you're God's child. Christian, that should move you to devotion to Christ, not a flippant attitude towards sin. It should move you to worship and delight. And some of us, 
just carry on like we are entitled to his forgiveness. You have been forgiven to love and to serve God, not to delight in your sin. If your attitude towards sin is a casual one, you may need to really consider if you believe in the God of the Bible. Look at what else this text says, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is our peace. So when we think of peace, we usually think of like tranquility and the Gen Z chill vibes only type peace, which I think is part of being a Christian. Right? We have nothing to fear because Christ has defeated our greatest enemy of sin and death. Christ gives us peace. This is a tranquil peace that is a gift of God's spirit to believers. This kind of peace can be defined as the peace of God. But if we stop there, we're not doing this concept of peace justice. Because there's also peace from God, meaning this. When you consider the depths of your own sin, You're not just a sinner. Before Christ saves you, you're actually an enemy of God. And this God would be just to just crush you. You're an enemy of God. Not because of who God is, but because of who you are. Our hearts are so filthy, Our sin natures are against God. Yet, because of Christ's sacrifice to you, received by faith, you now have peace from God. This God who would be perfectly justified to destroy you because you are in rebellion against him, that would not change who he is. But... Jesus has interceded by his death and paid for your sin on your behalf. And now you have peace from God who no longer sees you as an enemy, but sees you as a child. You're now a member of his family. And what's more than this? This relationship isn't just a vertical one like us to God. It's now a horizontal one, one to Another. In our text, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians were no longer two races, but there were one. Again, as we previously discussed, there was a literal dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles in the temple. But because of the Holy Spirit, we Christians are now the temple of God. 
There is no more separation of Jews and Gentiles in the body of Christ because as believers in Jesus, we are all one in Jesus. And because the cross has not only reconciled us to God, it's also made a way for us to be reconciled to each other. The dividing walls of hostility created by our sin has been dealt with. So let me explain this. Last week we saw how we were dead in our sin and in our trespasses. And in verse 3, Paul tells us that all of mankind are the same. Children of wrath. Meaning, sin has affected all peoples. Jews and Gentiles alike need a Savior. We can't accomplish our pardon by works of the law. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, came and fulfilled the law's demands. And in one action, he created for himself and in himself one new man. Meaning that the distinctions that would separate Jews and Gentiles are now gone. He has reconciled us. Christians, he has reconciled us into one body, the church, by killing any man-made distinctions. So what that means is racism and classism or any other ism that would divide us has no place in the church. Sin, our great separator, has been dealt with. And now we, as believers in Jesus, are one in Jesus, called into one family for the glorification of God. So now we're united in one family, one holy race of chosen and beloved children of God. The church as God's chosen people is meant to be a diverse group of people from every tribe, nation, and tongue on the face of the earth. It's a picture of the coming kingdom where we will gather a people from every ethnicity, country, language, people group on the face of the earth. We'll gather together in the worship of God who himself created all of us for his praise. Our races, our genders, our hair color, our eye color, all of them, all of them celebrate a creator. God in his manifold wisdom created us just as we are in order to glorify him. And when we get to heaven with believers from all nations, we will also be there in diversity. I won't cease being a white male in the resurrection. Asians will still be Asians. Africans will still be Africans. Cultural divisions will be redeemed. Men will still be men. Women will still be women. And in our resurrected bodies, we will still have these distinct markers in order to give God more glory for the unity he has created for us. The dividing wall has been torn down. So now the things that have historically divided the church ought to push us to pursue unity. What this also means is that Christians are supposed to be the most forgiving and long-suffering people. 
we are called to forgive in the way that Christ has forgiven us. Consider the cross. If you're harboring unforgiveness in your heart towards another believer in Jesus, or anyone for that matter, but especially someone in your own faith family, is it possible that you just don't fully grasp just how sinful you really are? In Christ, hostilities have ended. So allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart to help you put to death pride and unbelief and idolatry of self and forgive much because you have been forgiven much. Unforgiveness leads to cynicism. It leads to bitterness, and that will straight poison your soul. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to acknowledge your hurts. But in that invitation is a nudge to do something with those hurts. Not to sit in them. Not to grow bitter in them. Not to get cynical in them. Not to push them off and pretend that they're not there. But to acknowledge them. Give them to the Lord. Confess them in community and let the Lord and the body of Christ minister to your soul. There is so much freedom in forgiveness. Just think of how much you've been forgiven. Verse 17. And he, being Jesus, he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Christ Jesus came, making no distinction in the gospel. He says, peace to those who are far off, that means the Gentiles, peace to those who were near, meaning the Jews, all sinners in need of Jesus' grace, the unmerited favor of God to us. And because of the gospel... The gospel has accomplished what we could not accomplish in and of ourselves. We have been forgiven and have God himself living inside of us through the death of Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives inside true believers in Jesus. And now, again, we have access to God the Father. Think about that for a second. You have access to the God of the universe. Because the God of the universe indwells you, believer in Jesus. I think some of you struggle with this. Again, I think theologically we can all, if you're a Christian, all assent to that. But functionally, I think some of you struggle with this. I think some of you feel like And I know some of you probably feel like this because I feel like this too sometimes, that I've done the thing that I said I would never do again, again, one too many times, and God's annoyed. That's what I think. God's annoyed with me. God's mad at me. 
Or maybe like the stuff that I'm feeling isn't worth giving to the Lord because I can either, I think that I can either handle it on my own or because of what I previously said, sometimes feel like God is disinterested in me. Just me? Cool. The cross means that this isn't true. The cross and the resurrection mean that God is pleased with you. God is pleased with you. And he has granted you access because he wants a relationship with you, Christian. God is not distant from his children. If you are a Christian... God has taken up residence in your heart. Because Jesus bore our curse, and if you have received his forgiveness, if you have confessed your sins and accepted the Lord Jesus by faith and belief in him, then you have a real and present access to God through faith. We get to pray to God, and we get to have a relationship with him. And not only is this relationship personal, it's also communal. We've been called into a family. Look at verse 19. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. Paul tells them, remember what you were and then realize what you've become. You were no longer alienated from God. You were no longer friendless, hopeless, treasonous, godless rebels. But you are citizens. And not just citizens, but members of the household of God. So now you are meant to link arms with other believers and pursue Jesus' glory and mission together. The church doesn't exist I think some of you need to hear this. The church doesn't exist to gratify your perceived wants primarily. But the church exists to make disciples. To make disciples and to grow mature and faithful believers in Jesus. We don't exist to entertain your kids, but to train men and women and children to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. So we push on you, and we push you to community here with people who are perhaps not in your same life stage, which is okay, in order that together we grow in our understanding of who Jesus is as a people from different walks of life called into the same family, coming together for accountability and pushing one another towards holiness. So just as an example, my community group, has the youngest member of Redeemer Church and the oldest member of Redeemer Church, and we're all in there together doing life together and growing in godliness together as brothers and sisters in Jesus. And it's beautiful. This household is built upon the Word of God, the apostles and the prophets, the teaching of the Scriptures. As our authority, we have the Word of God. And 
the household is built on how God has revealed himself through the scriptures, and we are being built upon Jesus as our foundation. The church stands or falls based on their faithfulness to the word of God. Jesus is the cornerstone. A cornerstone is the rock or the piece of the foundation that the remainder of the building rests upon. It sets the direction for the rest of the building. In architecture, it is the first one laid. So Jesus being the cornerstone means that the remainder of the building, the household of God, the church, is built upon Jesus. And the church is built up as we grow in Christ as the holy temple in the Lord. The church is built up when we are spending time in the word and in prayer. And the church is built up when we obey the great commandment to love the Lord our God with everything that we have. And the church is built up when we are loving one another the way that Christ has loved us. We are the temple of God, Christians. What does this mean for us? It means that every one of you matter. It means that every one of you matters in the kingdom. We ask you to leverage your time, your talents, and your resources at this church, not so we can pull off a church service and, and like do the church thing, but so that God's kingdom will come here in Odessa. We ask you to be members here, not so we can pad numbers, but in membership there is accountability in order that we can encourage one another in our pursuit of Jesus and in order that we can create a safe space to wrestle with sin together so we know that we're not doing this alone. We ask you to be in community here because God is a community in himself Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perfect relationship and in perfect service and submission to one another. Community is our place where we practice the one another's of Scripture. Where we're pursuing being fully known and fully loved by one another as people fully known and fully loved by God. And therein lies the great blessing of being fully known and fully loved because it reminds our hearts of the gospel and God's greatness to us that he loves us and it also encourages our hearts to not grow weary in our pursuit of Jesus. Colossians 2 tells us that as believers in Jesus, we're knitted together in love and we have been given the mystery of God, which is Jesus. So I think pulling that out a little bit, there are things about the Lord that you don't know, won't know, and can't know apart from community because we're called to do this life together, which I think means that some of you need to elevate your view of the local church. When you consider the New Testament... In the churches that Paul writes to, membership is always assumed. It was not commonplace, or dare I say, even heard of, to claim to be a Christian and not be faithfully and meaningfully connected to a local body of believers. 
So if that's you, I'd ask you why you function this way. Why haven't you connected with a church? There's so much freedom, so much blessing in being connected with a body of believers, and there's so much freedom in learning how to walk in forgiveness towards one another. There's probably a bunch of reasons why you feel the way you feel about church membership, especially if you're just kind of popping in and out of whatever church you want to whenever it's convenient for you. A lot of those reasons are probably rooted in pride, thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. And to translate that, like if this is your posture, then you're thinking significantly less of Jesus and his commands to you than you ought to. There's a lot of these reasons that are also probably self-protective. Because church people can really be not very Christ-like. If you've been hurt by the church, first let me say I'm sorry. That's not the heart of God to you. Secondly, I can't promise that it won't happen again, unfortunately. But I can promise you that God sees you, and God will fight for you. And so allow him to minister to your soul. Connect with the body of believers and try again. Don't grow weary, because the Lord is for you. And the Lord is also wanting to use you, because you matter. There is so much freedom and forgiveness. We are all sinners first and then sinned against secondly. The cross has killed hostility so we can forgive and be forgiven. Church membership gives us a place of covenantal accountability to where we know who we're shepherding and where we can walk through our hurts together and seek the honor of the Lord together. I want this to be a safe place to struggle and to struggle towards Jesus. But to neglect membership is not the way. Because the New Testament assumes that church membership is a part of your fundamental identity as a believer in Jesus. So if you're not walking in deep community with other believers, you are vulnerable to sin, and you are not following the Bible as people called into the family of God. A pastoral hero of mine, Tony Morita, I quote him a lot here. He says that we show we're a part of the church universal, which means all believers everywhere. We show we're a part of the church universal by identifying tangibly with people locally. Is this not what we do in our union with Christ? We live out spiritual union with Christ visibly, and in the same way we live out our union with Christ with other believers. Union with Christ means that we, by his resurrection, that has made faith possible, and by this faith given to us by the Holy Spirit, we are united with, connected to Christ, and we are identified by our relationship to Jesus. We have been bought by the blood of Jesus. All of our blessings and our inheritance in Jesus has been purchased for us by Jesus on the cross. He has bought us through the sacrifice of himself and brought us near and made us one. Do you live like that? Do you live like that? 
Do you live a life marked by holiness? Do you live a life marked by unity with others? Do you live a life marked by community, marked by confession, marked by repentance of sin, marked by delight in Jesus, marked by a commitment to the body of Christ, the church? Or are you living a life isolated from God, doing the Jesus stuff when it's convenient? Here's how I want this to play out at this church. I want us to be welcoming of people who don't look like us, vote like us, speak the same language as us, and welcome them into the family of God by the cross of Jesus for the glorification of him. I want us to love the poor and the marginalized. I want us to care for the vulnerable in our community, regardless of skin tone. I want us to work to advance the gospel to the nations in our local expression of the church here. And in order to do that, You have to be bought in. You have to be submissive to the calling of Christ on your life to connect deeply to the body of Christ. The New Testament says there is no Lone Ranger Christianity. So plug in and connect and engage and be thankful for our salvation that Christ has purchased for us. If you're not a believer, Christ is calling you to himself this morning. Jesus went to the cross, and all of the blessings and benefits of Jesus are available to you. Christ is offering you freedom and forgiveness from your sins. All that is required of you is repentance by faith. Repentance of your sin by faith in Jesus given to you to believe in the cross and the resurrection. Christ went to the cross. There is no guilt, shame, or condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We have been brought near to the throne of grace by the blood of Jesus. So let us worship him for the pardon of our, our purchase of our pardon. Will you pray with me?